Podbean continues into the home stretch of the election edition 2021. A lot of people. We got an easy one here, though. Jamie Matthew is running for re-election to Ward 1. He will be the only person on the ballot. So we took a little different approach, more just chatted with him about city issues and what he'd like to see accomplished in the next four years. Before we get to that, thank you, Little Beaver Brewery. Stop by Little Beaver Brewery and see their new outdoor patio area. It is beautiful. It's got places to stand, places to sit. It's got some heating elements if it gets a little chilly, but they shouldn't really need them because it is starting to be very nice out there. They are open 11 to 9 Sunday through Thursday and extended weekend hours 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. They are on 5 Finance Drive south of town in Bloomington. Now, Jamie Matthew, Board 1 in Bloomington. Hey, Jamie. It's a beautiful day for a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> it's a beautiful day to be outside working on my lawn instead of talking to you, Tyson. Come on, okay. man. <laughs> well, we'll try to we'll try to bring some sunshine into your life anyway. Uh, no, just, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Thank you guys for doing this. It's yeah. important to keep people informed. Well, I think it's really cool because you're uh, you running for a seat where you don't have a competitor on the ballot. Uh, plus, being an incumbent, you know you're you're locked in, but you're still making efforts to campaign, um, you know, from an informational standpoint and um, get the word out there. So, um, yeah, I've know. done every forum and filled out every questionnaire and every survey that's been sent to me so far. I think, and uh, I'm going to keep doing them because it's still important to put information out where people can access it very easily. Yeah. Uh, so across- I guess. Across the question off the, tell me the difference between you and your opponent then. We'll, we'll get that one out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so we usually ask people like why they're, why they're running. Um, so I will have to do, maybe do a little different with you. Um, before you knew that <laughs> when it looked like, when you didn't know that the field was going to be wide open, you know, um, why'd you decide to, to uh, try to go for another four years? Well, I mean, the the short answer is that I started projects that aren't done yet. You know, when I ran for office four years ago, I made some commitments of things that I wanted to do, focus on infrastructure spending in our older parts of town, um, improve communications, especially um, the city and businesses in terms of people who are wanting to start new businesses. Um, And, and, um, you know, I, I started working on those. We've made progress. We are spending more money in the older parts of town. We are working on sewers. We are working on a plan to start fixing water mains. We are doing more with the roads. Communication has got better, but none of those is as complete as I want them to be yet. Plus, along the way, I started a couple of new projects, um, you know, with a, my smart street lighting initiative and with, um, you know, I've uh, helped start the Bloomington Normal Innovation Alliance along with council member Kevin McCarthy from the town of Normal. And I think leaving right now when both of those things are still in the infancy and still getting up and running, I think that's it's premature. So I, uh, I decided to run again to keep working on those things and make sure that before I'm done, I've left them in a place where they can be handed off successfully. Okay. Well, I know it takes a ton of your time on top of your, uh, top of your, your job, which is already demanding, uh, being a small business owner, 
you don't just get to clock out at, you know, nine to five job. Right. So, um, Oh no, this morning I woke up to a message that the, uh, the toilet was broke at the store. So I spent this morning, uh, you know, working, you know, I'm, I'm happy that my father taught me at least the basics of plumbing and, uh, the toilet is fixed, but you know, uh, I was able to do that myself instead of paying somebody overtime on Sunday to come out and, um, fix it. So, all right, got her done. Yeah. So, um, so can you tell me a little bit more about those? I haven't heard about uh, the Innovation Alliance. What's the what's the idea there? Well, um, so it, it started out of the conversation. God, it was. There's been so many conversations about this, and it started with um, uh, one of the meetings. You know, I went to the Illinois Municipal League meeting in Chicago, and it would have been, I want to say, fall of 2017. And was talking to some of the guys, you know, my background is in computers and technology, um, was talking to some of the guys from the Illinois, um, God, they changed their name three times since then. I think they're the Illinois Technology and Computing or something. It's an actual department of state. Um, and uh, some of the guys I knew that I used to work with from the old E-Rate program, which was how we got high-speed internet to all the schools back in the dial-up days. Um, and showing how old I am at that point right there. And um, so we were talking to them and they were talking about this new program that they were putting forward that they had already bid out several contractors to convert all the street lighting in the state to LED lighting and how much money it was going to save. And that's where the conversation got started. And then it evolved into, by the way, when you convert these street lights, you can add wireless internet access to those poles to provide internet access to, um, you know, public vehicles, if nothing else, and improve communications with where vehicles are and routes and um, provide access to fire and police and everything that they need. And then, oh, by the way, you can add, you know, uh, air quality sensors and you can add gunshot detectors and you can add all these things. And it starts spiraling into this bigger conversation of kind of revamping how we approach technology as a city. Um, and so, you know, uh, council member Kevin McCarthy and I, we, uh, have made it a point to do lunch at least once a month to make sure that we keep miscommunications from the city council and the town council from happening to the best of our abilities. So we start talking about it. And, um, and I also roped in, uh, Mark D from Serban and, uh, he says, Mark says, I'm having the same conversation with ISU. They're talking about, you're talking about smart cities and they're talking about smart campus. So now we pull in Charlie, the um, uh, CTO, CIO for ISU into the conversation. And it just kept expanding in terms of coordinating what the town and what the, the city are doing to make sure that, you know, if we have the same not necessarily the exact same tech, but at least technology that will talk to each other, um, that we can start comparing things oranges to oranges, right? Or as opposed to um, apples to peanut butter, which it seems like we end up with on a regular basis. And so- It sounds like conceptually sort of like what we have with our 911 service right now, right? Trying to avoid that sort of disconnect. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's and the 911 and E911 probably gets all wrapped up into this as part of it as well, but it's, it's mostly a framework for making sure right now, the partners that are, are trying to build out a framework of how we talk about technology are the town, the city, the county, 
the EDC, the Chamber of Commerce, um, uh, Regional Planning Commission, um, and ISU, Illinois Wesleyan. I think Heartland's going to probably join into this as well. And so that we're, we've got everybody at the table from a governmental entity to make sure that if we're talking about how does 5G get rolled out in the community or how does fiber get rolled out in the community, what problems are we having with X? You know, one of the things we're talking about is we have to update our um, uh, the system that controls all the stoplights in town. You know, Bloomington Normal already have we've collaborated on that for years and it's incredibly outdated. And in order to update this, it's going to be a major undertaking, as you would imagine, uh, with all the stoplights in town and the systems to control them, especially around emergency vehicles. And everything just keeps getting more and more complicated as you add on to it. So the Innovation Alliance is a framework of how we talk to each other and notify each other to make sure that um, everybody who has a project that's important to them can work together in order to make sure we're being as efficient with um, tax dollars as we can and not duplicating efforts. Yeah, that was a long way to say it, but I think that's, that, that last sentence sums, sums it up. How about that? I, well, it just, I, I don't know if you want to keep talking on, on this one, Tyson, but overall, I'm, I'm loving hearing all the uh, cooperation and the behind the scenes uh, across city and town uh, talk. Are there any other opportunities in your mind that we should be jumping on where we can bring both town and city together? And, and you know, this this could be anything from, hey, let's work on a fire station, you know, in that, that northeast corridor to, uh, you know, do we look at combining? I know there's been talk. Do we combine some of the different offices, you know, fire state or fire, fire on both sides, police on both sides, a, a bigger combination? Just curious as, as to if you can get, kind of give listeners a little sense of what opportunities should we be doing to combine things together? Cause we hear that talked about a lot. And then are there any that are too far that no, we, we need to stay kind of as it is. I think this is the start of a framework to have more of those conversations, you know, um, out of the blue mayor runner dropped on everybody, you know, by the way, we should combine Metronet and Bloomington communications back into a single entity at one point. Um, you know, that was, completely caught me off guard because it's something that's been talked about over the years, but has never um, really been moved forward at all until he randomly dropped it on a radio show one morning. And I started getting phone calls and like, thanks for the heads up, mayor. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. I think that there are more stuff, more, you know, a lot of people who move to the community for the first time don't understand why District 87 and Unit 5 are separate entities. They don't know why Bloomington and Normal are separate entities. They don't know why we don't run a shared library district or, you know, and the, and the answer is, of course, uh, well, they were, the, the town and the city used to be five miles apart. We just kind of grew together and merged just like Champaign-Urbana or, you know, I grew up in Kankakee, which is now Kankakee, Bradley, Bourbonnet have all grown right into each other. And um, there's a lot of conversations that can be had, and there's been multiple votes over the year to combine the city and the town together. And every time it's come up, it has been defeated, um, you know, by by naysayers. I think I think there's a lot of room for those conversations, you know. And, and the way that I always phrase it is, if multi-billion-dollar and multinational companies can merge together, um, there's no reason why we couldn't, if there was a will and if there was a a way to do it going forward, but it's, it's, it's going to have to take people who can look at the 25 year view. 
because the 10 year view is going to, the first 10 years is going to be ugly, you know, but by year, year, you know, year 15, 20, 25, we have the potential to save some serious amounts of money by doing that. It's um, the problem is, is that most of the people that you need to make those decisions are the people who are benefiting from administrative, administrative roles. So like, Hey, come up with a plan of how to eliminate your job. It's, never a fun conversation to have yeah. is the there any level go ahead. Uh, as I say, is, is there any level uh, or get, give a kind of a sense of, of your perspective of the level of um, trust and teamwork that's there versus distrust because you look at like a metro zone or the uh, you know a lot of the talk about the, the normal uh, running the pipes out there at Rivian it, you know depending on who you're listening to is oh well, that's an attack on Bloomington and and some of those I'm just like I, when I hear them, I personally I, I'm going, yeah, how much of that's true and how much of that's created. Um, so we'd love kind of your perspective on do we have a trusting relationship? Obviously, things probably aren't 100 percent, but where where is that? I would say that the relationship right now between city managers Tim Gleason and Pam Reese and County Administrator Camille Rodriguez are the best they've been in a generation um you know the uh the metro zone was a series of events of miscommunication um either willful or or um ignorant miscommunications that happened i think some of it was willful um and the fact of two city managers at the time did not communicate well I was on the outside of that mess, um, still running for office, but I had, and, and Kevin and I have had a series of conversations about it, that what the city council knew and what the town council knew were two completely different sets of facts about what was happening and who was thinking about what and how that came to be. If you was just, it was every worst example of misinformation and miscommunication that you can think of. So, you know, um, town council was acting on one set of information, city council on a completely different set of information. And it just all blew up from there. Right. And that's why Kevin and I keep meeting every month. Uh, you know, we just last, last time we talked, he was like, Hey, you know, what are you hearing about, this proposal for shared recycling services for the uh, recycling drop points, um, you know, and and so we talked about that. It was something from the normal perspective to Bloomington. From Bloomington, you know, Bloomington has proposed a new IGA for how the town and the city work with uh, Connect Transit. And so that's moving through the circuits right now. So Kevin and I keep talking to make sure that the information is flowing correctly. Um. Not, I'm not just saying this because you're on. I say this about you when you're not here too. So uh, I, you're, I like how you are on council because you have, as you call them, projects. Like you have things that you're working on trying to promote. Um, you're, as opposed to, uh, at least from my view, outside as an observer of the council, it seems like there are members who just um, are, are more reactive to, you know, wait to see what staff puts in front of them, say yes or no. Um and, uh, you know, I suppose both work and it kind of depends on how much time <laughs> you want to spend on it too, right? Things. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm not trying to back you into a place of saying anything negative about any of your peers by any means. But I guess, um, could, 
just maybe share your thoughts on like, do you think that that's what a council person should be doing? Should you be having your, um, should all nine of you kind of have like your three, <laughs> three things that you're working on and trying to negotiate, or is it better to have like some people doing that? Some people more, um, like assisting and, and backing up. How's that, how's that dynamic work for you? I think that everybody who makes a decision to run has something or a reason why, you know, that they, this is why I am going to run. I feel like I can bring this skill set to the table and I think this needs to get addressed. And I think that um, how people have the ability to express that once they're in the position is, is, can be very different as they go along. You know, uh, for instance, uh, I had a conversation this morning with um, Council Member Donna Bolin, and one of the things that I appreciate that Donna brings to the table is um, her fiscal sense, right? She really pays attention to the, the um, every little change and every uh, nut and bolt in the budget and finances of how things are constructed and put together. That's not necessarily a, um, you know, an ongoing project for her where she's trying to fix something, but she wants to make sure that there's constantly a light shown on that part of the conversation as we go forward. And that's great because we need that. And, and she does that for every project that we're looking at. Some of those being projects that um, other council members are bringing forward and some of those being projects that are important to department heads for their department in the city. Um, so, you know, Donna also brought the welcoming America, um, uh, project forward as well, because that was, that was the part that was important to her. So that's, that's more of an active forward role versus the just paying attention to the nuts and bolts of every financial decision, um, is, is more a passive role, but still an important role. You know, it, it, it's, and, um, how it all balances out is, is tricky too, right? Like there's a lot of projects that come forward that I'd never even thought about, but are incredibly important to staff because A will lead to Z eventually, but we've got to line everything up in the right order. Like the uh, uh, the, the Colton uh, Locust Colton um, sewage overflow system, right? Incredibly important to staff to get there, but it's not something that ever would have been top of mind. I don't think for any month, anybody who was running for council and how we, manage that project uh, the fact that it's seven phases over 15 years that's going to cost 80 million dollars um is is incredibly important at the same time but it, it's not anybody who's going to run for council like we need new sewers you know you don't hear that very often so yeah yeah so yeah it's going to be a very new uh team um you, you'll be the only one who uh who was in your chair uh come after the april election uh, so you'll, you'll be having to feel each other out and find out where the relative skills and, and overlap and is, uh, yeah, I potentially, I potentially right. Molly. running. I'm sorry. Jerry. Oh, I, yeah. I forgot Molly. Yeah. I, I, Molly technically is an incumbent, but I was still considering her new since she, uh, yeah. pointed to Scott black seat, but yeah, I didn't mean to exclude her intentionally. Good point. Yeah, I, I've talked to almost everybody that's running, and um, 
you know, it's... Hey, so have we. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good group, right? It's a good group of people, different motivations of what they're looking for and what they hope to achieve. Um, you know, I think that there are some people that have stronger personalities and stronger, um, you know, convictions than others. Um, it, it, it all depends on what you want from your elected official, uh, you know, but there's a, there's a wide range this time and it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, I've warned them all that when you first get elected, it's like somebody stuck a fire hose in your mouth and turns it on full blast because, there's stuff that we've been talking about for six or nine months is, Hey, this project is coming down the way. And that project might actually end up on a council packet. Your first meeting that you're sitting there as an elected official, you just got sworn in and now you're expected to know six or nine months worth of content of why we're making a decision on something. And the, the first, you know, eight weeks of being a council member is, is rough. It can, it's a lot of information and a lot of reading and a lot of awareness and, a, and so many conversations because now that you're elected, everybody wants to talk to you. So it's, but it's fun. It's fun. I, I still enjoy it. And Kelly thinks I'm very weird for that fact that I still enjoy it. <laughs> um, so uh, I know one of the things you worked on too was downtown. Um, very important to you. Uh, being on the task force and then also, you know, your business is down there too. So uh, how do you feel like progress has been over the last four years? Um, well, how are things looking positioned um, to go now? What, what would you like to see happen most? Well, I think it's, it's, it's interesting with downtown, you know, we're, we're definitely trending in the right direction. Um, businesses, we've, we've got net more businesses now than we have in the past, right? You see some, some go and some come back in and replace, and there's more businesses now down there than there were. And it's, I tell people a lot that downtown becomes a business incubator for a lot of places where you see a lot of concepts, um, start up to see if they can make it in some place where, Rents are still fairly inexpensive. You know, some of the smaller spots in town are available um, in the downtown area. So you can actually find out if a business idea has legs or not. And if it does, we see a lot of businesses that end up outgrowing any of the available spaces downtown and, and moving somewhere else in Bloomington. So that's it's great from an architectural or it's great from an incubator um, perspective. But also, you know, I, I love the architecture of downtown. It's, it's so unique compared to most places we go. I always tell people that if I had to do over again, instead of being a computer guy, I might have actually become an architect. That was like the other decision path I was looking at in high school and stuff. And, um, and we have so much going in downtown that, that other places are just jealous of, quite frankly. Um, you know, we take it for granted every day, but... I, I end up downtown walking around a lot at like five in the morning, just the sun's coming up or, and, and seeing the light reflecting off of the dome at the, at the museum and, and places like that. And I just love those experiences. And, and we always get pulled into these wars where we're going to be like, well, uptown's got this and, but downtown's doing that. You know, we also, we also have to keep in mind that uptown is like, um, you know, uh, what is it? Six blocks, seven blocks total. And, and, on um, you know, two sides of the street for six, seven blocks and downtown is 42 blocks. 
with businesses and places on both sides of the street. So the, the scale of things is significantly different when we're talking about, well, we want to do these street lighting. Well, 42 blocks of street lighting is, is, is a lot more expensive than seven blocks of street lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, 42 blocks of, of planting and trees is a lot more expensive than seven blocks. And so that scale causes us to stop and look at things about downtown differently than I think that um, normal is able to do for uptown because uptown is just so much smaller. Mm -hmm. So um, total hypothetical question here. Let me take some of the practical barriers out. Let's say that you, let's say that you got to choose one thing to do downtown. Um, you know, you got a, you got a grant or there's already money saved up to do something. Um, you're going to call in favors as needed from the council. So, you know, you got the votes for it. Um, no, I'm not talking something big like redoing the market street garage, but of those, um, but I do want to do that. <laughs> that's kind of a whole nother thing, but, um, you know, of those like small to medium size efforts, what would you, what would you do? Would you go with beautification? Would you go with like internet quality? What, what's your, what's your top thing down there? greenery trees bushes shrubs um you know one of the one of the major differences between um our downtown and a lot of other places do you go is that we have way more cement and pavement as you go down there i would like to see more trees and and bushes and shrubs and 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 plants that come back every year without maintenance right and we got a lot of shady parts of downtown. Fine, fill them with ahastas and, and shade tolerant plants. But I would like to see a lot more of that stuff. You know, like that that will make the downtown more inviting and complement the art, the beautiful architecture we already have. Um, it'll make you know we had a phenomenal year in, in a crazy COVID year. We had a phenomenal discovery last year of how much people really enjoyed the outdoor dining, right? And a lot of restaurants really stepped it up and shown about the amazing creativity they had and execution of setting up an outdoor dining plan within weeks because they couldn't have people indoors. And how do we keep that excitement going, right? How many people, I don't know how many people told me they love sitting outside and eating at Epiphany or Mystic Kitchen or or going and hanging out and having a beer and a burger over at McGuire's and, and how do we keep people and people were just loving being outside and experiencing that architecture and stuff. And how do we keep that going? How do we make that experience better? I'm, I'm glad you said that. I think that's the, one of the biggest things um, from COVID that, that is a big positive here that needs to stay. I mean, I remember with uh, the bike criterium, right. Having to get all the special rules to have alcohol outside and the, you know, the whole list of terribles of what was going to happen. You know, you, you would have thought Al Capone was coming in and running some bootlegging operation. We, we can't do that. And here it is. COVID forces it. It happens. And everybody's like, why weren't we doing this before? So I, I'm with you. The more that you, you and your colleagues can help remove those barriers and help that stuff to happen. I, I think that alone is going to help kind of give that sense of place. It's a little more visible. You don't see cars, you see people. And then, Epiphany puts bushes up and it becomes more of that sense of place. Right. Yeah. And, well, and we're, we're full on working for towards that plan of what do we do different this year over last year when we did it last year, we had to scramble to get something in place fast this year. Um, you know, are we, we're, I think as a city is going to put in a lot more plantings as part of those barricades to mm -hmm. exactly like you said, to kind of, 
make it a more experiential, um, ex, you know, dining setting for everybody who's doing it. And, um, you know, we want to make it easier for the bars and the restaurants, but also a lot of the businesses are asking for the same thing. Like, Hey, can we set up and put stuff out on the sidewalks too? And, and right now the city has like a, you can do a temporary permit for a sidewalk sale, but you can't just do it every day per se. And so we're looking at what do we need to do to change our rules to allow businesses to, you know, um, put out a cart or, you know, as my store, I would like to put out tables and chairs for people to sit outside and play games on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm on a slope. It's going to be a little bit more of a challenge to roll the dice when it's, you know, 12 degrees doesn't sound like very much until you're sitting there for two hours. Right. So. I also that, hope that, that there can be more of it outside of downtown too. Cause I look at some of the strip malls around, especially somewhere they're, you know, sparsely populated. There'd be plenty of room to block off those spots in front of there. Um, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's opportunities, uh, maybe downtown's a proof of concept, but then a little bit of encouragement, um, beyond there too. Uh, and we don't want to just, just have it be <laughs> isolated to there. Although it is very nice to, I enjoyed it tremendously as well. No, I think, I think a lot of restaurants took advantage of it last year. I know that Ancho Nagave had all kinds of stuff out there. are kind of out on the East side there. And, um, Fiesta Ranchera out over by Best Buy, um, mm-hmm. had a large outdoor dining area. Oh yeah. Yeah, they did. Didn't they? So yeah. a, a, quite a few, <laughs> the past built out a nice outdoor dining section as well, which is right there off of, uh, Washington and veterans parkway there near the, kind of near the Jimmy John's. So there were a lot of places that took advantage of the outdoor dining and the change rules that we put in place. Um, so yeah, what, what's, it sounds awesome to me. Go yeah. for it. Everybody in town, let's do it. Right. It, and, and I, and I love, I mean, like you're saying, putting, putting uh, chairs and tables outside the game store, that's going to draw people in. It's going to make the place a lot more vibrant and, and, and just that starts to attract. I mean, I'm dating myself, but I you know, remember the days you'd be downtown and, they had the uh, Coley's chess club, you know, they had all the chess stuff set up down there and it's like, you're, you're going to eat or you're going to the bars. Oh, let's, Hey, stop and play chess real quick. And, and just people could jump in and do that. We, we need more of that. And it, you see it work in other cities. I mean, I think like a Charleston, South Carolina, they got that entire market where basically everything sets up all these businesses and everything shuts down at seven and it's, it's an empty building. It, it can be done. And, and we have such an opportunity there my opinion so yeah, yeah i um i've is- learned that i i've learned that comparing things to europe doesn't necessarily endear americans to it but maybe if i frame it this way the there are places that i grew up that had outdoor dining um and these places had been gathering points for people for like a thousand years or more in some cases in various yeah. regards and so there's got to be some wisdom <laughs> embedded in that if it's working for so long through so many different types of environments and, you know, plagues and down economic downturns and changes in technology. Still, people are gathering in this place and they're, they're almost always sitting outside at tables, um, having good food, having good drinks. People of all ages are there, kids to the elderly. Um, and when I went downtown, I had that kind of feeling of like, yeah, this feels like the ground plots and moans or the Zentrum and Brunsum and places that I, I was thinking of. So um, I think there's hopefully given people a little taste of that. They 
they're not be afraid of it anymore of again like oh my gosh you're gonna drink outside people are gonna be you know chucking bottles at each other and stuff and it doesn't really go that way so i think the big thing that uh, we have been fighting as a culture um inside of the city is that um people still look at the streets inside of downtown as roads, Mm -hmm. right? And they're not roads, they're access to parking. And so we need to protect fire routes, which Washington street is a fire route through the downtown. That's most of our emergency vehicles go that way. We need to protect fire routes, but um, you know, main street and center street in downtown are not a choice anybody is making because they're trying to get north-south through Bloomington. They're going to a specific business inside of downtown. Otherwise, why are you driving inside the couplet and didn't go around? And so, and I've been, I've been hammering this with staff saying, these aren't really roads. They're aisles of a parking lot. Let's treat them like the aisles of a parking lot and not expecting that we need these incredible wide lane widths and we need this ability for people to drive at speed we don't want them to drive at speed we want them to drive safely in a way where cars can pull in and out of parking spots people can walk around in downtown and everybody has a safe environment so stop treating them like they're through streets and and treat them like they're aisles of of a parking lot and i think that's finally sinking in and changing people's perspectives of how they look at things awesome I wouldn't expect to drive through the parking lot at Best Buy at 35 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. And I don't yeah. think any reasonable person would not expect to do that either. Nor would you expect there to be two lanes between the parking spaces in Best Buy, right? You yeah. just have one lane that you drive down and you can park to the left or the right. You don't have two cars going in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, the people on the podcast can't see my hands uh, describing what I'm talking about. But you wouldn't well, have a dual lane parking lot with. There'd be a waste of be a waste of property right you should be rearranging it to make better use of the situation so and i think this is a conversation i know you and i have had a long time ago too of changing attitudes towards vehicles um and parking in general right with Mm -hmm. and this we've talked about reducing minimum parking spot quotients and things of that nature um you advocate advocate for getting rid of parking space minimums completely um You know, I think that there are situational where we can do that, but we can definitely reduce the minimums because, you know, we had a conversation with um, one of the analysts from a large local insurance company who came in and presented to us uh, about what they expect an autonomous vehicle future to look like. And one of the most telling things that he said to city council was that he thinks fewer people are going to own cars. Because why would you, right? Why, if you could have a, uh, you know, one of the, the second largest investor in vehicles, autonomous vehicle technology in the world is Uber, right? And because um, their goal is that instead of me buying a car and paying for to have a parking space at my house and paying for car insurance and maintenance and everything, Uber's goal is to sell me a package that says, I get X number of pickups and drop-offs per per month that I pay for, and it's probably cheaper than a car payment plus insurance plus maintenance and gas, right? And I schedule and say, I need to be at this meeting at 7 a.m., so pick me up at this time to make sure I'm there. 
a car automatically shows up. I hop in, it drops me off where I got to go. And I think that's insurance companies are looking at that future as well, which means if that's the way we're going, we're going to need fewer um, parking spaces. Mm -hmm. So how long it takes us to get to that future? I don't know. Um, Are we, you know, 10 years away? Are we 25 years away? I'm not sure. Right. And, And I think it's going to be faster to adopt major metros than it is going to be central Illinois, but we're heading that way. And so when we're thinking about a 25 year plan for roads and um, for parking and things of that nature, we have to keep in mind that this is the way that we're heading. Yeah. That was probably one of the things that I was most happy about that the planning commission did when we did the last zoning update was um, the consultants recommended requiring two spots per residents and we decided to to bring that to one um because you know still having some off-street parking has its value there's an argument for that but looking forward at the future um if someone wants to build a house and doesn't want to have a two-car garage on it i that that should be their <laughs> prerogative to to do that or a, or a parking lot that's big enough for both of those things um you could definitely see a lot more one car households in the future if technology goes the way you think it's going to so and that's that's one of the things that i've been talking to people about a lot especially when we talk about businesses and we talk about incentives and things of that nature is is that i'm not trying to plan for and think about just what's happening today i'm trying to think about how do i pay for pension obligations 10 years from now 15 years from now um you know we've got a a plan in the city, you know, we, we have a situation that developed where past councils did not pay pension obligations as they went along. And so now current city councils got to deal with their decision-making process. And so we're on a ramped up schedule of paying for pensions that goes up every year until 2040. So 15 years from now, we're currently paying, I want to say, $13 million this year in just pension payments. And by 2040, that's going to be $23 million. And that's just in back catch-up payments. That's not um, our current obligations, which we're also paying for. So we're going to pay current obligations plus $23 million. And I, I want to know how we're going to have money to do that in 2040, And so some of that is setting up small businesses and setting up bigger businesses to be successful now so that when we get there, they are fully mature businesses and they're part of the uh, part of the system. And and they're helping to offset those those costs that are going to keep going up every year, no matter what we do. Well, Jamie, we're, uh, believe it or not, we're getting like five to 10 minutes uh, left in this and, and we haven't done our lightning round that we normally do in the middle of the podcast. Oh, so sorry, I think we're contractually obligated to throw it in still. And, and, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, so looking for first thing that pops to your mind and like three words or less sort of answers, just the, the quick and dirty on, I'll say a topic and you tell me what you think. So first one um, is connect transit. Necessary. Okay. Next is O'Neill Pool. Opportunity. Bloomington Public Library. Uh, man, love. Constitution Trail. Uh, <laughs> uh, simply amazing. 
economic development required for the future and then end with town of normal partners okay and then the longer uh the longer than three word uh topic that i want to talk to before we get off here is COVID, and kind of specifically uh looking back at everything we've obviously hit on a couple of things that i think you've expressed the city's doing a good job at and, and evolving but um overall what do you think kind of give a little bit of score here of um, what what's the city gotten right with COVID response? What have we gotten wrong? What's the future look like? What do we need to be doing more of um, as we kind of rebound and, and accelerate to the future? Um, man. Okay. So that, that's so many different ways to take that, that question. So what I think we got right was pivoting to help restaurants um, and, and the way that we did that and we pulled people together, I think we got that part right. Um, we, we were slow on, um, we were slow out of the gate, but we eventually got there in terms of helping individuals, um, you know, and it, it really came down to making sure that we maximized relationships with are nonprofit entities who got funding to um, start pivoting and reacting first. The first round of the CARES Act mostly went to them. You know, we didn't get any money out of that until got almost nine months in um, where we could start doing some stuff inside of the city. And so setting up that support network to help the individuals, we were, we started off slow, but we got there eventually. Um, you know, thank goodness that some of the organizations um, were able to pivot faster than we do. You know, the city's just a, a big lumbering beast. It's I tell people that, you know, the city's like the Titanic and the Titanic saw the iceberg and still hit it anyway, because, um, you know, turning is not a fast thing. Um, things that I think that we did not do right was management of the relationship with um bars and restaurants that would not comply. Uh, I think that the mayor was soft on that one. I think that, you know, it should have been one warning and then, uh, you know, just to make sure everybody is aware. And then the second shot should have been the cannonball, right? Because um, there were an awful lot of places that said, you know, okay, here's your $500 fine shove off now and leave me alone and went back to doing business. And if you're doing $10,000 in a business that day, what do you care about a $500 fine? So I think he should have went significantly higher on the fines. If somebody got fined a second time um, to say, we're not playing around with you because a couple of those spikes that we had were a direct relationship to some of those organizations that refused to comply. I know everybody's hurting and I know it was a sucky year. Um, but, uh, you know, there's still things that you have to do as a responsible member of the community, um, where we go in the future, you know, I think we talked about a little bit about is this changing attitudes for how we approach restaurants and businesses and, and letting, you know, get the city out of the way in some regards and say, set it up on the sidewalk, give us your insurance form, take over some parking spots, you know. Uh, maximize this opportunity of lessons learned and, and let's roll forward with that. Um, you know, 
we we do still have I am still concerned we've got a major problem coming up when the um, the foreclosure moratorium not foreclosure um, eviction moratorium lifts and that's going to be a major problem we're working on it right now in the city trying to figure out what we can do and what the best way to do that is I had a conversation with um, a, a trusted guy I know and uh, I don't want to put him on the spot but um, he helps with um, evictions in a lot and his organization helps with evictions a lot. And on an average year, Bloomington and McLean County has about 850 evictions in a normal year. Well, those have all been piling up and he thinks we're going to see about a thousand eviction notices filed within the first 60 days of that moratorium being lifted. And we're going to, we could potentially see a significant jump of homeless population as people get pushed out. Some people will land with relatives and friends. Other people will find a new place. But I think that we could be facing a humanitarian issue of um, where do those people land and how do we help them um, if that in that scenario. And so we're working on some stuff in the city right now. We're not ready to roll it out yet because it's still all in development. What's legal there's a lot of stuff that we we are bound by state and federal law of what we can and can't do, but this is going to be an issue that every community is going to face theoretically sometime this summer, and it's going to be ugly, and we're going to have to figure out what to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we're almost done with COVID, and we're working through it, and people are going to get vaccinated, but there's still some big challenges and big hurdles coming down the pipe, too. Um, curious when you said um, the mayor, you know, up in the fines. Are you thinking of those coming through the liquor commission still? Did you think that that was the right body to administer those, um, or would you um, would you have preferred to see them come from the health department or some other sort of mechanism? It that was the challenge of the entire twenty of the entire COVID year was um, the governor. Uh, I thought the governor did a pretty good job of keeping people informed and making um, decisions based on facts. However, um, along the way, some of the rules were wishy-washy and the state's attorney's office said that they couldn't enforce them because so that led to no enforcement from the state's attorney's office, which meant that the health department's hands were tied, which left the liquor con commission as the only vehicle to do anything, which meant that the only people we could even have a conversation with and said, we're watching you were people that had liquor licenses. Yeah. The governor's office uh, or the state legislature should have um, issued more clear language of what could and couldn't be done which would have given empowered everybody through the entire cycle. And so um, I think that the state's attorney's office was a little wishy-washy on their uh, interpretation. The other communities were far more aggressive, um, you know, and uh, it, it left the liquor commission the only way we could have done it. And, and with even knowing that with that being the only way we could do it, we should have been more aggressive. And I, I think, I think there. I, I first of all, I appreciate your opinion and and you being uh, decisive and kind of where you're at on that, right? Because you, you get a lot of I, I don't know, and it's it's clear you thought that through and you have have that position. Um, I mean, there's there's another side where people say uh, maybe the 
the executive orders weren't the right vehicle or you know maybe we should have called the legislature back and had some legal or had some some bills some some law come out of the legislature and then that gives those enforcement mechanisms and and um unhandcuffs everybody right that, that that's an approach fine with that however it played out be it the governor or the state legislature it should have been more clear cut than it turned out to be and I and I think that's that's where you know as you're identifying just people feeling like their hands are tied and it's part of that because okay is is the executive order a legally enforceable you know is is that is that a law and then how how do you do that and um, so I understand I understand the position um, but you know there's there's also people that say hey liquor commission isn't the place to use that um, they you're trying to you know you're trying to use that as the tool to enact policy on the other side. So, but yeah. again, I, I appreciate your position and, and being clear on that because not everybody is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I think it's a difference between living it and getting the phone calls, you know, and, and um, you know, there are an awful lot of armchair quarterbacking right now and everybody's entitled to that, but it's, um, and there, there are some things that happen behind the scenes that we are as elected officials obligated to keep in um, confidentiality. Um, but I got a lot of phone calls from the businesses that were doing it right, who were super pissed off at the ones who were taking advantage and, and free rolling things around. And, um, and I think they have every, um, every right to be incredibly pissed off at people who endangered you know, endangered, um, the rest of the community. Yeah. You know, it's, it's as this extended through, um, your actions, you know, we have rights and, and response. We have rights as Americans. We also have responsibilities as Americans too. And people's actions put other people and their businesses at risk. So it's that weighing game. And it was, it was a whole lot of difficult conversations last year. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if I've told everyone I've talked to, but I, I intended to that um, no one who was in a posi- decision-making position had any idea when they, they signed up for it, that they were going to be having to make these tough calls. Um, I was not in such a decision-making position and I was very thankful to not. So um, I hope that anybody, I hope that everyone gives elected officials any, again, elected, non-elected, anyone who had to make these tough calls in this unusual situation. I hope we can all give, people grace with it because uh there was no playbook to work off of so yeah you remember how we started last year thinking that the australian wildfires and the koalas were going to be the worst story of the year (laughs) that was that was january 2020 that was going to be the story of the year was the you know the 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 plight of the koala and yeah and then you know the february said hold my beer and away we went from there so hey uh at a risk of running us too late here um I feel like we did you a disservice because you have a platform of three things and we didn't really talk about too many of those things. But uh, anyway, I hope you win regardless. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> um, just a real quick on infrastructure. You said, you know, infrastructure spending trending up, um, trying to do more of that. I've been happy that Bloomington has been able to do that without taking out debt to do it. Um, it seems like that should be a regular maintenance cost and not something that's an extraordinary event that um, causes us to bond for it. So I'm glad to see we're doing that. Um, 
I guess the it, conversation uh, I had with Tim Gleason, you know, we just talked about it again last week is that every project that we do should, everybody needs to be aware and we need to have a set aside that says this is the capital maintenance for this building that we just did. This is what it's going to take to keep that build this building functional in the future because every business plans for that. Mm-hmm. Every business has a line item that says we're going to put some money aside because eventually the water heater, the roof, the walls, the whatever's going to happen and and city cities don't do that. And it's it's that's why we're in this situation, you know. The city went on a building spree in the late 70s, early 80s and and got a lot of stuff taken care of and nobody ever set aside capital maintenance uh, for those buildings when they reach end of life, which is where we're at right now on so many structures like O'Neill Pool. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a changing of philosophy of thinking how you budget, and how you plan going forward. And I think we've got some situational awareness of that now. That's good to hear. That's kind of where I was going with that is how do we get um, <laughs> how do we get here? And I agree with your diagnosis. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you're trying to have those conversations and change that because we don't want people 30 years from now to be blaming us in the same way. Right. For not putting away money for that. The the It's not even a rainy day fund. It's just a planned expense. Right. Things need to be fixed on occasion. And oh, yeah. I mean, we've got. Uh, because we it hasn't been done for so long, we've got eighty million dollars of um, uh, water and water treatment and water main work that we've got to do in like the next ten years, and that's like phase one and two of five, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not going to be fun paying for it, but it's necessary if we want clean drinking water, if we want sewer sewage to go where it's supposed to go and not into people's basements and. You know, we got to do it now and we got to plan for the future. No. All right. So, Jamie, Jamie, normally at this time, we'd say if somebody wants to find more information or campaign or volunteer or donate or, or all that, where should they go? But uh, it, it maybe you have a spot like that. But with you already being an incumbent and still going to be on council, is there a preferred path for people to reach out if they do have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you could people can always hit me at my city email, which is ward1 at cityblm.org. Um, and I always answer questions there. My, my phone number's on the city website. Um, if you want to see what I'm thinking about um, any given topic coming up at the city, I have a Facebook page and just search for Alderman Jamie Matthew. And theoretically, there's only one of me that should come up, right? So um, that's where I put most stuff out that uh, what's going on and what I'm thinking about and, and, and bigger picture stuff that's happening is that Alderman Jamie Matthew page. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming and chat with us. I wish we had another hour, um, but we'll let you get to your yard. I know, I know you're dying to get out there. So, <laughs> or your toilet refixing. Maybe there's more plumbing work to do. I don't know. But I, I really hope there's no more plumbing uh, for a while. Right? <laughs> uh, just because I know how to do it doesn't mean I want to. I would rather go out and work on the yard and. and you know, still, still trying to get all those, the branches and twigs picked up from January. There's a lot, you know, yeah. uh, the downside of the older parts of town is the trees shed a lot in those events. So yeah, thank you guys for doing this again. Thank you both for hosting these and for making sure that people can be aware of the local elections. We, we talk so much about federal and state elections and um, you know, the elections coming up and important decisions for mayor and 
four of the aldermen race is going to completely change how city council operates in the future. And everybody gets to decide what is best for them and what is best for their family. And this podcast is probably the most in-depth of any reporting service right now, but, you know, talking to an individual candidate. So thank you guys for doing this. It's important. Cool. I really appreciate Appreciate the encouragement. Yeah. Keep it up. And we also appreciate the encouragement of Little Beaver Brewery. We had to get some new technology set up in order to do these in a COVID-safe way. And uh, without Little Beaver support, we would not have had the money to do that. So this election edition is very much literally brought to you by Little Beaver Brewery. They invest in the community. They care about building up a strong community. And so I encourage you to go support them because they are supporting us. And we are done. See you, Jamie. Bye, guys. Thanks.